Uh, but what we see in the polls is actually that Russians are increasingly awakening to the understanding of uh, the importance of uh, freedom of speech, of uh, the civil rights being protected. The popularity of Putin and the whole just his authority is very low. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Backstory. In this edition, Russia. President Vladimir Putin came to power in 2000. As a correspondent, I covered his first election, and never did I imagine he would still be president 20 years later. Because the Russian constitution only gave him a mandate of two four-year terms. Then he extended that to six-year terms, and became prime minister for a term, and then president again. He has maneuvered around the country's constitution again and again. And now, in a referendum, he will change the constitution to allow him to stay in power until 2036. Sixty-seven years old now, Putin spoke this June 12th on Russia Day. He urged Russians to turn out and vote for constitutional reform in a referendum on July the 1st, saying he was certain that an absolute majority of Russians backed it. And the way the Kremlin counts votes, you can be assured a majority it will be. But many believe in the midst of a pandemic, Putin's racing to have that referendum because his popularity is in a nosedive, and it will only get worse. So on Backstory, we talked to former Prime Minister of Russia, Mikhail Kasyanov, and Maria Snegovaya from the Center for European Policy Analysis. Uh, thank you both for being here. Thank you for the invitation. Firstly, the pandemic. I mean, Russia has lifted most of its lockdowns. It's different region by region. Uh, but Mikhail, maybe to you firstly, um, Moscow certainly is back to business. 12 million people. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that is the, the I would say the mixed feeling uh, among people. On one hand, just we understand that it's still in Moscow and the whole Russia, we have any, uh, um, every day we have new cases by eight or eight thousand uh, five hundred cases uh, every day. And simultaneously, Mr. Putin ordering just uh, to perform the parade, military parade, with the participation of almost seventy thousand militaries. And also, uh, he appointed um, uh, voting of approval of his amendments to the Constitution for the 1st of July. And there is an absolutely, absolutely mixed feeling. And I'm, what I'm hearing from regions and official statements of governments, one or another, they're canceling those parades, local parades in their, their cities, where the capital of regions, because of this pandemic. Because of well, in fact, I think that, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think, uh, you know, earlier in the week they were saying 10 cities had, had canceled and then now they're saying there's another three that have canceled. Yeah. So, so, Maria, if I can ask you, President Putin told State TV on Sunday that the American response to the virus and recent anti-racism protests were a sign of deep-seated internal crisis in America, which has recorded the highest overall death toll from COVID-19, as we all know, in the world. But he claimed that his country was emerging from this epidemic with minimal losses. What's he saying there? Do you believe him? Well, uh, President Putin, um, 
really just says to his people that he wants all of them to come uh, and to support his uh, constitutional amendments on uh, July 1st. And that's why he needs to sound very optimistic and positive about how Russia handled this crisis. Uh, but as uh, Mikhail correctly pointed out, uh, we are actually quite uncertain about the numbers. If anything, uh, there was a, a great work by Russian statisticians uh, who demonstrated that pretty much all of the available statistics on the um, uh, coronavirus deaths and uh, coronavirus infections are fake. And you can literally see because the numbers are redistributed in a very you know, horizontal way and a completely artificial uh, manner that demonstrates that the officials just are afraid to show um, any high numbers. Uh, so that is a problem. Uh, but most importantly, I would just add to uh, Michael's answer to this question uh, that uh, the Russians are primarily concerned not so much about the coronavirus, but about the economic well-being, particularly given that the Kremlin did not really provide Russians any carrots uh, throughout this crisis in the sense that people, there were sticks, people were forced to stay at home, but there was no extra payments by the government in order to help them sustain through this crisis. And as a result, many of them just uh, really have to make the ends meet, and therefore they need to go um, and work. Uh, one of the indications, by the way, is the unprecedented collapse in the consumer sentiment uh, rating, which is uh, only comparable to the crisis of uh, 2008. So the economic situation is quite worrisome for the Kremlin. All right. I know Mikhail loves to talk economics. And so, but before we, before we come back to that, I do want to mention that as you were talking about statistics, in fact, Echo Moskvi, the uh, radio station that, that generally is an op a real opposition radio station, it has been in Moscow, reported this week that nearly 6,000 more people died in Moscow during May than on average, putting Russia among the worst hit countries in Europe. And, and if you can just help me understand, Mikhail, why is it important for the Kremlin to lie about the numbers? I mean, why don't they just come clean about it? That's, that's the old habit, Soviet-style habit. And all of Soviets continue to perform that way, what they used to do before. Because just, you know, all the leaders, all um, uh, just ministers, they all came from the Soviet Union and they had this spirit, they had this um, um, uh, habit to perform this way. And then when they started to realize that, in fact, just in Russia, the, the actual statistics is really low than in Europe, and they uh, had decided to double this. It's still three times less than in Europe, or original Europe, but, uh, but uh, they doubled what the previous, uh, the previous reports were. But in fact, what is Marie correctness mentioned right now, people are curious because of, uh, because of um, the situation, social and economic situation. You know that the, the, all these three packages Mr. Putin announced, that costs only 2% of GDP. You know, just all European countries, including Great Britain, US, and, and European countries, they're performing with this support of people and businesses like 8 10% of GDP. Russia had this money available for this, but Mr. Putin doesn't want to spend this. That's why people realize that they cannot already perform just um, as they did even, even in February or, or in January. And in it's fact, really, I think it's really important what we're talking about. Those businesses already canceled participate in those programs Mr. Putin offered to them because those um, special schemes offered to them are ineffective. That's, right. why, that's why there is no actual support of businesses, no actual support of population. 
although he still has 60% popularity. That's not bad. I think most world leaders would be happy to trade their popularity right now for a 60% figure. I would argue with this too, because that's 60% because that's, uh, of popularity, that's not something actual. In fact, he always had like 45%, between 40 and, and, and 50%. And in fact, just all the elections, just only one time Mr. Plum won elections, that was the year 2000. All other elections were just with falsification. It was, Korea? the results were, were not credible. And in fact, even mathematical researchers of those people who involved in the elections, they calculated it was always 46, 45, 49%, but never more than 50%, never. A part of uh, the year 2000, when we had, had he, he got 51.5, something like that. If I may uh, jump in, uh, as a matter of fact, two points I wanted to add to what uh, uh, Mikhail said, which I really very much agree with. First of all, the reason why the Kremlin wasn't in a rush to spend the money, uh, it has to do with the fact that it in, uh, introduced the so-called holidays rather than the official lockdown. Uh, that means many state-employed uh, 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 people are in Russia will continue getting their salaries, uh, while people who are employed in private businesses effectively were left without any sources of incomes. This is just another strategy where Putin and the Kremlin tend to actually give favors to what they perceive as their loyal constituencies, which are at this point disproportionately are the people employed by the state-owned or state-linked enterprises. Uh, but most importantly, the Kremlin will expect the situation to get much worse, not right now, where we already observed an unprecedented decline in Putin, Putin's approval, but actually in this fall. And one of the reasons why they've been saving this money is actually to be able to assuade uh, the situation and the protests when they start erupting, which what they predict will be actually later. Maria, you just co-authored a great analysis piece in foreign mm -hmm. policy, and uh, the headline is that the coronavirus could hit Putin most of all. What do you mean? Uh, so, by the way, also to uh, go back to the point about the ratings, uh, Mikhail says that 60% uh, uh, approval is not a reliable number, and it's true, but it also um, uh, remember that we're talking about polling in autocratic system. Uh, even when uh, people respond honestly uh, to the question, who would you support, who would you vote for if the election was next Sunday, they still are really uh, making the choices in the situation of a complete lack of alternatives. And what it really tells you uh, in a non-free society, right, when someone unknown calls you on the phone or knocks on your door and asks you, hey, you know, are you gonna, who are you going to support next Sunday, right? It's what actually tells you is that uh, about a third or more of people are not afraid to say that they will not support Putin. It's maybe in the situation of autocracy, what's looking at how many people do not say they will support a given, uh, you know, irreplaceable leader, rather than at how many people say they will support. Also, uh, as we point out in the foreign policy article, the situation is really not good uh, for Putin. As I have mentioned before, uh, the consumer sentiment is, uh, um, the collapse in the consumer sentiment is only uh, comparable to the 2008 financial crisis. And if you think that nothing has happened after the 2000 financial crisis, and it's true, at the time the situation was relatively stable, uh, you are wrong. Uh, because as a matter of fact, uh, many polls demonstrate that the 2008 had such an effect on people in Russia that finally, so Sort of um, had its um, you know outburst throughout 2011, 2012. Right, we started to see these street demonstrations, uh, and I think uh, Mikhail, you were arrested at one of them, were you? 
Yeah, that was long ago. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think I think that this right now there is no desire of people to go on the streets. But uh, in fact, by coming fall, by autumn, the situation will change considerably, and it's now is being changing right now. And people already started feeling that that they they had to openly criticize. And in fact. And many people who are forced now to go to, to vote for Putin's amendments and these people working for the government and getting money from there, from different institutions, I wouldn't say just government and ministers, but on the level of, of um, um, uh, different organizations, they, in fact, in fact, they don't want to compromise with their, with, with their conscience. And that's why, that's why they're saying just if they are pressed, to, to depart, the people even read, uh, even read to lose their job. Just not. You're both. To... You're both Russian. Will you help me understand something? And that is. Yes, on. And, and Maria, you you waking up. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just don't understand why Russians are willing to accept a lot of this. And Maria, you wrote in your story, and I've been, you know, I, I was 12 years in Moscow as a correspondent, and I, I follow it, and you, you've probably given me the most succinct sentence I have read uh, about understanding the Russian psyche, and you can explain it if you don't mind, that Russians historically prioritize the state's ability to provide social rights over civil rights. So they're willing to swallow unreal elections, not, you know, they're, they're, they're sham elections by uh, European standards, uh, but because the Kremlin provided certain pension uh, minimums and social rights, uh, they have been willing to to uh, turn a, a blind eye to a lot of what happens in terms of the way the Kremlin uh, manipulates the situation. Is that what you mean, and that they're not prepared to do so now? Uh, that's absolutely true, and uh, uh, Russians are not really that unique in this sense. Most societies are traditionalist, paternalistic in the sense that they primarily expect the state to deliver, to provide the certain, certain social goods uh, to them, and it takes a while for, for societies to evolve to the understanding of the necessity of the civil rights, even in Europe and the West, uh, these countries took centuries uh, to develop this understanding uh, in Russia, which really lacks uh, sustainable experience of democracy, uh, this uh, understanding really is yet to come. Uh, but what we see in the polls is actually that Russians are increasingly awakening to the understanding of uh, the importance of uh, freedom of speech, of uh, the civil rights being protected, as also the Kremlin is running out of resources to be able to deliver uh, the social goods as we demonstrate. Uh, and this is a new uh, phenomenon in the last three years on different indicators of civil rights. We see an increase. The Russians increasingly view that as more important, partly because they really have been able to satisfy the primarily, you know, um, so, so, to, so to speak, economic needs earlier. I, I was uh, going to ask Mikhail here, is, is part of that also about the fragmentation of the message? Because up until now, the Kremlin's been great at controlling radio and television. But I mean, more and more, you have the fragmentation of Internet and people are getting real messages and real truth from different sources. Yeah, in fact, in fact, in the big cities, when people just every day using internet, the popularity of Putin and the whole just his authority is very low. In Moscow, I, I believe it's not more than 15% or something like that in the actual, actual support. But of course, in the rural areas and uh, industrial centers, just uh, in Siberia somewhere there, in Urals, just a little more, because they continue to believe, as Maria Karetra said, just there is no alternative what to do. Yes, not 
good life, but Putin promised a better life. And people around him, ministers, wrong guys, but Putin is great. That's why let's support him and expect him, he will deliver to us something. That's this, this feeling continue to, 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 to prevail in those regions, but the situation is being changing. So does this add up to the Kremlin is under pressure, Putin is under pressure, the, the economic situation is worsening, and that's why uh, maybe he, they shouldn't be lifting the lockdown on COVID-19, but they're doing it now because they want to get this referendum done. They want to get the referendum and they want the economic situation to restore. As I mentioned before, economic uh, considerations are the key uh, correlate uh, that really shows that explains the dynamic of Putin's approval. And uh, in in light of the five uh, years consistent decline in real disposable incomes in Russia, they really need the economy to at least somewhat start uh, picking up because otherwise, really, they're creating pre-revolutionary situation in Russia. And just to uh, follow up on my earlier point, where I compared uh, the current situation with the 2008 financial crisis what's different here like we heard a lot like so Putin uh, rating was down before so what's new about this situation what is new is that we are facing this major crisis comparable to 2008 when it comes to the consumer sentiment it's the situation when the Putin's approval has been consistently declining for several years in the row and people are getting tired of Putin Putin is increasingly becoming a liability it's very visible in the ratings and well the way people talk of him he is no longer the strong macho man the way he used to be and this is very you it's very unclear how the Kremlin is going to try to manage the current situation when pretty much people are tired of him very very tired of him personally this hasn't well if they're getting tired of him they, they better buckle up because there's a lot more to come because if he wins this referendum he will be able to stay in power until 2036. He already won the referendum. He already won the referendum. That's fake. That's not a referendum. That is voting, illegal voting because just Putin didn't want to have a referendum. As I mentioned to you earlier, there is only two forms of voting in Russia, which is uh, constitution provides for. That's election or deputies, whatever, president, etc., and a referendum. Putin just didn't want to have a referendum. And the constitutional judges just uh, disc described to him and to people that those changes uh, which Mr. Mr. Putin introduced uh, are the minor sense, that's why just there is no yet referendum. But Putin still wants just demonstration of people's love to him. And this is just artificial just positioning. It's nothing to do with the, with the legal consequences. And the results are already clear. They already said it will be not less than 60%. So now there will be not less than 65% approval, et cetera, et cetera. They already, know, they already know what the turnout is and they haven't had the uh, referendum yet. Absolutely, absolutely. That's already uh, happened the, here. It's a very <laughs> stable country. We already know the results before the election took place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, well, I, I think in some of the regional votes, they've had like 110% turnout. And uh, in some of these elections, they've had some pretty strange numbers. Uh, but Maria, you wrote at the end of the, your article, and sort of keep referring back to it, but I'm interested in, you said Putin himself could become a liability to the very system he has created by 2024, the year of the next national election. These changes may become deep enough to represent fundamentally new challenges to Putin's ability to sustain his hold on power. You think it's going to boil between now and then? This is unusual, as I mentioned before, since Putin himself is no longer an asset. Uh, before, for pretty much 20 years, Putin was uh, this person who really held the whole uh, personalistic autocratic system together uh, because he was so popular because of this quote-unquote legitimacy of his. We see that this is the key um, um, element that's been 
under erosion at the moment because people are growing tired of Putin personally. This is, as I mentioned before, reflected in even in the jokes uh, that people, you know, joke around. This is new, but unfortunately, what actually has been missed uh, by the West in this in the midst of this pandemic is the fact that Putin de facto eliminated whatever election, whatever the votes left uh, from the election in Russia. As uh, Mikhail also correctly pointed out, that when new changes introduced to the electoral laws that effective, effectively allow the Kremlin to falsify anything they want at all. Uh, there is no observers, uh, there is a distant voting that will be done, this so-called electronic uh, voting, where not a single possibility of monitoring exists. Even before that, there were not as many, but right now they will be totally eliminated, and the first try will be during this unfortunate constitutional vote on July 1st. Uh, it's it, Essentially, the Kremlin understands that they no longer can uh, win in even the rigged uh, election that uh, they used to do in the past. So right now they de facto eliminated all election at all. And that creates a big uh, challenge for the Russian opposition, how to deal with this uh, really new um, sad uh, reality. But definitely one thing for sure, interested times are coming for uh, Russia. Uh, the Kremlin is no longer as stable as it used to be. That's for sure. Mikhail, last word. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Just uh, in fact, uh, Putin right now just very nervous about just just destroyment of his original plan which he announced in the, in the middle of january pandemic destroyed it then then fall down of for oil price destroyed it even more on that right now we have minus six percent of gdp deficit deficit of the budget and that is the problem and uh, putin already allowed central bank to print money somehow to to uh, neutralize the problems of the budget what we already face it with minister of finance doesn't know what to do because just this is contrary to monetary vision of um, of the whole policy but that is the fact uh, and that the government uh, the government is not working not as a as a team as assistant assistance of to putin and uh, by autumn we will have a considerable problem Right now, they even cannot develop the draft budget for next year because they don't agree with the general general aspects of the situation. They cannot judge what the oil price would be. They consider continue to believe that Russia will have economic growth this year as 1.7%, which absolutely wrong will be minus 6-7%. And they expecting that next year will be 3% of GDP growth. That's what how just they, they, they would like to feed people this information. That's already Soviet Union style. It means the beginning of the end. Mikhail Kasyanov, the former Prime Minister of Russia, great to talk to you as always. And Maria Snegovaya is a fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis, and her research includes Russian domestic and foreign policy. And uh, a gift to hear both of you today give us some perspective on what's happening in Russia. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And that's our Russia Backstory. From London, I'm Dana Lewis. Please subscribe to Backstory and share it with others. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again very soon.